Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Sorry, folks. Uh, last week got a little tight, and uh, I uh, spent a little bit more than a week of getting you a new podcast. But uh, good news is I've got three for you at least uh, before the end of the month. So th- at least three in the next seven days. How about that? Uh, we're going to start things off with a great conversation with Alex DeCampi. Happy to welcome her back. We always seem to talk right before or around Thanksgiving. Alex uh, has her book, No Mercy, which is excellent. A great collaboration with Carla Speed McNeil. And uh, it is a a bus trip with uh, some students uh, experiencing another part of the world. And everything that could go wrong does go wrong. And uh, the opening arc itself is an interesting uh, chapter in itself. And it sounds like, based on our conversation, that the mystery will get deeper. So, a uh, very interesting uh, conversation with Alex DeCampi. We also discuss uh, things like Archie versus Predator. We talk a bit about diversity in comics. And, uh, you know, Alex has been rather outspoken in terms of uh, the fact that women need to uh, be better represented at uh, the publishers and, and to the audience with uh, work coming from women. Um, She also puts a lot of reality into the equation of where page rates are in terms of uh, writers and artists and uh, just some things to keep in mind. I I don't think uh, it's uh, bad information. I think it's quite honestly uh, important information and that nobody gets a free ride and that uh, sometimes it does mean just being published doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's handing you a fat paycheck. And I know a lot of people already realize that, but I think Alex has spelled that out very clearly on her blog uh, at Tumblr. I think a lot of the uh, news websites have picked up on it, so we talk a bit about that as well. And I think uh, she brings some clarity into the idea of breaking into comics in a way that uh, some of the others haven't. So uh, glad to get a contribution like that uh, for uh, what we always discuss here at Word Balloon. But I think you're going to enjoy today's conversation. It is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where big deals are happening now on uh, great books at uh, ridiculously good prices. You can save up to 70% off on uh, books from Marvel and DC and some of the other publishers as well. Uh, And, of course, uh, it being uh, the Christmas season, a great place to uh, do some of your Christmas shopping because you'll find great deals. Don't forget, if you order $50 worth of merchandise or more, you receive free shipping. They make it easy when you hear about some of these great deals. You can get Astro City's Lover's Quarrel. Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson, 50% off, just $12.49 for that hardcover. You can get the Silver Surfer Epic Collection trade paperback. Uh, Again, 50% off, $17.49. You can get the Sandman Overture Deluxe Edition with Neil Gaiman and J.H. Williams Art. 42% off, just $14.49. You can get Lumberjanes to the max. The uh, hardcover edition, volume one, is uh, 30% off, $27.99. You can also get Ultraman. Man, remember that great uh, Japanese uh, TV show? Well, Viz Media has a wonderful collection of 212 pages of Ultraman graphic novel comics. It's volume two, 30% off, just $9.09. And that's just some of the great deals that are waiting for you now at InStockTrades.com. Check out uh, the website and you'll find more waiting for you. All right. Time to, uh, once again, hook up with Alex DeCampi, and uh, very happy to have her back on the show. You know, she's a uh, filmmaker as well, has made music videos and, and films, and uh, we get into that a bit as well in the conversation, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, my kind of talk with uh, a person like Alex DeCampi, and I'm very happy to welcome her back on Word Balloon. 
Welcome back, Alex DeCampi. Happy to have you back on Word Balloon. I am thrilled to be here. Uh-huh. <laughs> good, good going since we've talked. You've been on a hell of a run. <laughs> we haven't talked since Grindhouse either was about to start or just started. And you're rocking. Yeah, um, I, I had a good year. Um, <laughs> Has it only been one year? I couldn't remember because I no, thought it's been a couple in years. I was, I think, it was okay. thirteen. Because, um, yeah, around this time actually, it was right around Thanksgiving. Yeah, because Grindhouse was starting to come out. Smoke Ashes had just come out. Um, yes, yes. And then Grindhouse did its eight issues, and then another eight issues. Yeah, it did. Since then, Archie Predator. Uh, yeah. No Mercy had its first four issues. The fifth is coming out uh, on the 9th uh, of December. Okay, good. So, good. Because yeah. I wasn't, yeah, I wanted, you know, honestly, my my timing, you know, we'd be talking, yeah, it comes out tomorrow. And I'm like, no, <laughs> as far as No Mercy 4, or 5 rather. Yeah. But uh, but no, that's cool. That's great. You're, yeah, I know, man. And that's the thing, like every now and then, like Archie Predator, I'm like, oh, I got to talk to Alex. So I'm sorry that I hadn't. Uh, but we can talk now. This is good. Absolutely. <laughs> let's let's talk about No Mercy. So, like, how did this like come together? You and Carla, and uh, and forgive me, your colorist. Name. Uh, Jen Manley Lee does color art. Um, Excellent. She's Carla's colorist on Finder, which is now in color in Dark Horse Presents. Um, I think the last Finder trade uh, was it Third World was in color, so it's color from now on. And that's. And so she's yeah, used, she and she, Carla and Jen work really well together. And I work, I, I feel I work very, very well with, with, with both Carla and Jen. They are really good human beings. It's funny in comics that you'd think that like having a team of people together who only want the best for the book and don't care whose idea it is, as long as the overall book is better for it. Like you'd think that would be the standard, <laughs> but <laughs> Not in your experience, apparently. <laughs> uh, so, well, what, what it isn't, it's, it's a real shock. And I've had a couple of those recently. Um, obviously, the Ashes being one of them, and another one was, a, was an artist I replaced on a project that's coming out next year um, for just being combative and mm. drawing the wrong things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. then sending me caps-locked emails about drawing the wrong things. And I was like, I, I can't. I'm not paid enough to deal with this. <laughs> I'm really not. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But but Carla, but Carla and Jen spoil me terribly. Um, we have a very very good working relationship. Um, everyone comments on the script. Everyone comments on the arc outlines. Um, Carla roughs the dialogue in in her pencils. And artists listening to this, please do that. Because that means that the letterer, who's unlikely to be the writer, and therefore is probably having to deal with too many words in the panel as it is, won't have to smack the letters on top of a really pretty background or a face that you took a long time to draw because you'll know where the balloons go. Um, so she, she roughs in, Carla roughs in the dialogue, and she tweaks because she's a tweaker, and she makes the dialogue better. Adds things, you know, stick in an extra panel here and there combines things you know, as you do in the, in the working process of, of a book um line art you know we, we talk about the pencils go on to line art there's hardly ever any comments on the inks because we've done it at pencil stage goes to jen jen colors it comes back we might have a couple of tiny little notes but generally it hums along and then i letter from carla's pencils once we go to inks i never look at the script again Okay. So, and then I and then I can and then I continue to tweak from 
you know, from her tweaks. So I'm not, I'm not really ever tweaking them back. It's just like, oh, well, we could, you know, this would be better in another panel because of the reaction shot and just, just kind of really tailoring the dialogue to fit the, the, the art like a bespoke suit, which is the goal. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. And, I, and I'm glad to. I'm glad you guys are working together. As you say, this should be the norm. But, you know, reading about how dramatic comics people are, you can kind of see how sometimes these collaborations don't really happen. Yeah, yeah. Like, we well, can also, get along on Twitter, you know? How do we get along on a project? That's true. Well, and also, I mean, really, we're talking about generations, literally, of two people being, you know, put together by an editor. Who may never have spoken to each other and may never speak to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are my favorite, sadly, like Silver Age stories of like Arnold Drake. I never met Jose Luis Garcia Lopez until today. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't think that's true, but they <laughs> apocryphal story. Yeah. I'm going with it. I don't care. Yeah. But but no, you're right. I mean, that's that's totally true. And I mean, now this is, you know, it's a it's a new norm. And, you know, the writer is often not always, but especially on creator own work, which is what I tend to do um, with notable um, uh, uh, distractions. Um, you know, the, the the writer tends to be the packager of the book, often the money money person as well, or the person who's taking no money so that their artists can can have cash when they turn their pages in. Sure. Um, so it, it it can it's I can understand why it's very stressful. I mean, I do the graphic design work on No Mercy, which is kind of bad because I'm I'm not really a graphic designer. Uh, I was going to say, that's really interesting. Okay, I letter the book. I write the back matter. Um, I, I know. I want to talk about the back matter. Go on. I just like, I do all the solicits, you know, I just, I design the cover layouts. It's like, I do everything on that book. And that's why actually from issue five onwards, we ditched the letter column. Cause I was just like, I can't anymore. I do so much on this book, you know, for nothing basically. Um, and it's a book I'm committed to and I love, but the writing and the lettering and the producing and the designing and the selling to retailers and everything, like, that's it. I can do that much and I can put the essay in the back and then I'm done. Bye. Out. Sure. Um, no, that's, no, you're right. That's, a, I, I, hey man, I, no, I honestly, I love the fact that a lot of the image books, the the ones that I particularly like do have interesting back matter that is usually, as you say, provided by the writer and it's, uh, these essays or articles and, and, uh, different things it sounds like you know yeah usually the writer is kind of the manager of the book you know the the executive producer i guess of the book yes. essentially we should probably tell them what no mercy is about well i was going to get to that now and by all means let's uh let's do that feel free okay no mercy is an image series um it uh it is uh, i like to say it's there are two sort of short summaries of it one it's a book about texting emoji and sudden death um, the other way I say it for the slightly older crowd is, is it's a John Hughes script directed by Sam Peckinpah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> You're right. Shame on me. I should have recognized the Peckinpah. Um, Absolutely. See, I'm saying it's uh, a land-based Lord. Of, well, it's not Lord of the Flies. It hasn't gotten that devolved at all. No. But it, I, I don't know what you would because it's – or it's you know school trip gone wrong. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's about a group of um, – uh, American uh, high school graduates who are going to be freshmen in college in the fall, who go on a two-week voluntourism trip to Central America to build to build schools in a remote mountain village, um, just before their freshman year. It's a college-organized trip. Meet other freshmen, do good, help brown people. You know, like everything 
everything that like feels good for all these kids who are going to an Ivy League school. And so are very kind of like, oh, this will be a fantastic like resume building kind of team meeting. I'll do it kind of thing. Um, and they don't know each other. They don't really know much about the country. Most of them don't speak Spanish. They get there. They're all feeling each other out and doing that, that teenage thing of trying to figure out where in the pecking order they are, as well as the teen going to college thing of I am going to be a new person now that I have left home and everyone who knows me and I'm going to college on the other coast. So there's a lot of um, like almost shallowness when they first meet each other because they're kind of fronting on, on how they – um, where they fit in and who they want to be. Um, cause this is a time of great flux for them in terms of personality wise. Um, sure. and then a terrible event happens. The terrible event is not the most horrible thing in the book. It's not even the most horrible thing in the first 24 hours. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of death and, yeah. <laughs> and only one adult survives. Man, I always feel like like such a creep when I laugh at like the the, the the heavy violence stuff. But it is; it's good entertainment. I think it's a great uh, it's a it's a it's a great left turn. And I, and the great thing is you're representing both genres in here. You are representing the teen coming of age experience that everyone can relate to, and you know, so you got your nice Degrassi kind of feel going on there and stuff. And then, as you say, the peck and buck comes in, and it's really yes, it's very. It's there are it's no super, the, there are no superpowers. There's no nope. magic. There's no supernatural. Everything that happens in the book could happen in the real world. And I always feel like I feel like it's taken me this long as a comic book writer to figure out what I really want to do. I mean, I've done what I want to do since I started in comics. I've been very lucky of that by that. Also, uh, Alex. As I've told you before, smoke blew me away, and I think you are one of these very unique voices in comics. And yeah, so what what suddenly kicked in that has taken you to here? Well, I I just got I just let go of trying to do the high concept stuff of of like having lots of foof around it, like laser guns and aliens and this and that. Like <laughs> keep the foof, keep the foof. I'm, I, I'm like I'm good with I with characters in a room. I can bring enough yeah. drama to that it, yeah. you don't necessarily need there to be you know like shapeshifters um i i love the books that that people do with those i mean i'm like mean, i love shonen manga i love i love all sorts of superhero books i love a lot of like the supernatural books that are coming out i love wicked and divine you know but for me when i come up with a story my stories are mostly kind of like what would happen if this and the next two stories I have coming out are actually his kind of historic. Like one set in 1971 in California, um, and the other one set in uh, New Year's Eve 1958 in Cuba, which was a hell of a night. Awesome. Um, and again, no magic, no no aliens, no nothing. Like no, like they're not they're not running weird things to Area 51. It's just people, you know. It, like Godar said, all you need is a girl and a gun. Then you got a movie. Um, no, absolutely. No, and this and that's the thing. I would tell I would tell your grindhouse fans that uh, this this fits in really nice because yeah, I, I there's always I there's always an exploitation element to my work. There's always that kind of like <laughs> you're right, and <laughs> that's good. There's often sex. There isn't a lot of sex okay. and no mercy because it really didn't no. come up at the time. It would have been a weird time to decide to want to have sex. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, really. And by the way, unless things, like, things really got Lord of the Flies here, uh, or whatever, um, you know. But they don't. Dev- that's the thing. This is a very Mark normal Miller thing. Book. <laughs> it's not a. It's not a Mark Miller book. Nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but speaking of No Mercy, has a, the first four issues are out. There's a nice nine ninety nine image trade out now, and the fifth issue comes out on December 9th. And in case you're listening to back podcasts of Word Balloon, which is always a good thing to do, we're talking December 9th, 2015. Um, a girl. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, oh, I like that you're time stamping. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. Well, I'm interested because, you know, a second volume was announced, which is great. Mm-hmm. Were you looking at maybe capping the – like initially, was this going to be a finite story? Or because of its success, is you know, it was always, you're like, oh, I- it's always going to be a bit on the longer side. Um, I mean, I've got the next arc goes through issue nine is completely written. Five and six are done. I'm lettering seven starting next week. Um, I've got two more arcs after that that are mapped out, and then there'll probably be wow. two final arcs. I kind of it's sort of a, it, it was an eight to nine issue thirds um, of the story I wanted to tell, and it's really you know it's 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 not. Ultimately, a survival story, although it starts out that way. Um, I, I go on. It's a yeah. story about consequences, which is something that comics doesn't handle very well. Um, comics loves action, but it never really deals with the ongoing. What happens after the action stops? I mean, I always there was like a valiant uh, crossover thing, and they destroyed Mexico City, and I'm like, that's great. They destroyed Mexico City. I'm not really interested in the story of the superhero destroying Mexico City, because it's cheap, frankly. Um, I'm sure it was very well written. The Valiant stuff normally is, but still it's a cheap trick. Um, I'm interested in the parents going to the kindergarten, um, that's collapsed in the destruction to see if their kid's still alive. Um, I'm interested in the people trying to find each other again. He was at work. She was, she was at her work as well. You know, are either of them still alive? Like the notes that go up on the, on the, um, lamp on the lamp posts in the walls, like asking people to keep an eye out for other people. Um, those are the stories I'm interested in. Uh, and they all come out of this cheap trick, but are never examined because we're on to the next trick. Um, and so no mercy, like the first arc of it was really just the, st- the stone hitting the water. And all you saw was a splash. And it, you know, it was very involving splash because it's moment to moment survival. Um, but now we start seeing the ripples moving out from that. We really don't see how far the ripples go yet. That's the arc that follows. Um, but this arc is all about starting to bring in the rest of the world who have been reacting. We just haven't focused on them. And Mm -hmm. we continue to use social media and emoji. And if you don't like any of that, tough luck. (laughs) I direct you to the many other books on the shelf. I understand. No, I, uh, I think... No, and as you say, it, uh, the last page of issue four kind of opens the story to its next level, obviously. Yes. And something we didn't see coming. So, no, I understand. And, and based on what you're telling me, I think people who have read all four issues can now understand at least a direction of where we're going. Yes. Uh, you know, into the next arc. Very cool. No, that's great. And I and I do. I think I, that surprises me because, um, yeah, I guess I was looking more at the incident rather than the repercussions from the incident. Yeah, I mean – or, or the or the reasons why things happen the way they do at the very end as well. So. Well, we 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 get into that more as well. That's that was the beginning sure. of a, of much longer plots that we've we've seeded in the book because you know, I map these things out fairly well. Um, but yeah, it's it's just you know, 
part of it becomes a story about PTSD. You know, when you when you witness great trauma, you do not become a bat. Okay. No, I understand. And again, I'm just kind of processing what I've read, and it's like, all right, I get it. <laughs> the yeah, I, I try to stay like I try to generally keep a sort of monastic silence about the work and to just let it. Oh, absolutely. Itself. I mean, I'm, I'm a. Oh yeah. I'm a big believer in that the authorial intent intent doesn't doesn't mean a damn. You know, once you're done with it, once it leaves my hands, it's not mine anymore, and it's it's up to people to interpret as as they see fit. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's not it's like. Again, it's not the book that's like, what happens if aliens invade? Or like, they're time travelers, you know, uh, uh, cursed to always fall in love and then always separate after three days together. You know, like, whatever. You know, it's not that story. <laughs> no, I understand. And that's the thing. I think um, there's this ambition now to really tell a full kind of novel experience, I guess, in, in comics in a way that the six issue arc or even 12 issues isn't enough to do it. And I've talked about that with Fraction and, and Jason Aaron. And I mean, that's the thing. Vertigo, for the longest time, seemed to be the only place where you could do that. And even then, I, I don't think it was by design until you got to Jason with things like Scalp and stuff. It's funny. I'm going to talk to Will Dennis this week. Yeah. And I'm interested to see, you know, like, was it writers that decided to start doing these novels this way? Was it editors? I mean, you know, in terms of... Or were they, the, or were they just looking always for the next Sandman, which was a 60... The 60-issue 60 Vertigo mega series was really pioneered by Sandman. And then ooh. everybody else kind of started doing these 60 to 100-issue long-form things. Or possibly Hellblazer, but, but Hellblazer was less a cohesive story. Right. Well, and I would even... And, I, and not having interviewed uh, Gaiman... I don't know, but it seems to me that he was still writing interesting comic book stories with those characters until he finally decided to to kill him. Yes. Uh, you know, oops, spoiler. <laughs> 20-year-old spoiler. Um, but uh, anyway, I uh, – but that's the thing. Whereas Jason, I think, like was scalped. Yeah. And, and actually Azzarello, I guess, with 100 Bullets. I mean that was going to always be a 100-issue kind of novel. So yeah, maybe Brian was the first one. I don't – and again – was that Brian or was that uh, Axel? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, 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 I don't I don't know Jason Aaron. I've never met him. Um, though I feel in some ways that like the only people trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do are Jason yeah, and Ed Brubaker. Um, sure, definitely. I, you know, we are not. I, I, yeah, we are. We are all doing our own. We have our own little gardens, and we're very yeah. different writers. But I, I see what they're doing, and I'm like, I, I really respect that, and I understand why you're trying to tell that story, and I'm, I'm really impressed that you're that you're doing this media story um, in comics. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Yeah, it's like really underlining the novel in graphic novel. Yes. And yeah, no, I think it's great. And like I said, yeah, you Fraction, I think it was do is doing it with Satellite Sam. Is that is that uh, still going? Well, it's taking a break so they can, you know, do some other stuff for a while, yeah. but it's going to come. Okay. But yeah, no, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, you know, I know Sex Criminals gets all the buzz, but I'm like, yeah, but Satellite Sam is in that Brubaker and Aaron kind of novel, you know, kind of yeah. uh, storytelling yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. That's excellent. And I, and I love that. And it's, see, it's really, it's great. I think that you guys are able to do this and that, I mean, you tell me, obviously the market is a, is a friendlier place i mean i don't know can you really can you explain the shift i mean is it just luckily you're you know still out there pitching and you know the the temperature is right for better creator-owned success than there was 
you know, five, you know, even when you even first got in the digital realm with like Valentine's. Yeah, stuff. which is which is also which is on a bit of a bit of a satellite, Sam. It's still going just very slowly. Um, episode sixteen comes out very soon. Oh, still cool. on Comicsology. Um, I think a, a big part of why I was, you know, I, I don't know why I, I've never had a conversation with Eric about why why he backed No Mercy and then then chose to back my other two books that are coming from Image that haven't been announced yet, um, one of which will be extremely long form, um, but in discrete miniseries, because uh, I have the fear. Also, we all need breaks. Um, sure. I did read an interview with him sometime afterwards that said he was specifically interested in comics that were not high concept, um, I, you know, I suppose they get so many sci-fi pitches and things and like horror and magic and, and supernatural that he was really interested in seeing stuff that was that was this kind of real world that was drama. Um, and that might have been why. I mean, he might just like Carla's work. Um, you know, the, the things that I have landed there all had um, fairly big name artists attached. Um, one of them, obviously, I had to switch the artist. Uh, but... Um, I think a lot of it is 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 due to Eric's vision for image and his ability to choose uh, to to select stories. Um, so I think a big part of the credit has to go to Eric. Um, you know, I don't know if Dark Horse would have taken I mean, Dark Horse probably wouldn't have taken No Mercy because it doesn't have like vampires in it. Like they wouldn't have gotten that it was a horror book, but there was no real, horror. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Um, yeah, real world horror, horror. And you know, I can't see. It's not really IDW's thing. Like I can't see Carla and I really working out at Boom. Um, you know, I, I don't. I think Image is the only place we could have done this. Uh, you know, at that point, Vertigo wasn't having its redux. And again, I think if I took a, a straight, no high concept, horror drama to Vertigo. I mean, other than the Shelley Bond doesn't like me, um, they would say no. So. There, you know, uh, there are very few places for these stories other than Image, and you know, I thank my lucky stars that, that Eric kind of had a moment was like, and because I'm not, I'm not Fraction, I'm not Jason Aaron, I'm not coming off these giant Marvel runs right. with like sixty thousand Twitter followers who will, you know, be down for like, t- you know, will, and ten thousand of those will buy a book every month. Um, I don't have those people, you know. We don't like No Mercy does okay. It doesn't sell super well. Um, just partially cause we're not, you know, we're not coming off those big mainstream books. And right. so Eric has been very supportive of us. Um, and the whole image team, like image gets a lot of, like a lot of people who don't know what image does say a lot of things about image, which are not actually reflective of the reality of publishing there. Um, the team are incredibly, incredibly supportive of their creators um, I've had, you know, the, the PR reach out, like they, they, they do PR, like they do PR for you. <laughs> they do great PR. Um, the, you know, the, uh, I, earlier today I did a, the I word podcast with David brothers, um, which was a lot of fun. Um, they've helped me with design. They've helped me with marketing questions. They've, they've held my hand in terms of like teaching me how to reach out to retailers. Like I've had more attention and help there from image who supposedly has the image deal where like they don't help you at all than I've had with publishers who are supposed to be helping me. 
and who do, but not necessarily to that degree and that amount of amount of openness. So it's a you know it's a, it's a it's a it's a good place to be. It really is. Although I worry that a little bit that it's going to be a place that you go to when you're already like B list and up. I wonder if that's happening. Um, you know, I don't know how many. Obviously, again, I don't. I'm, I'm not seeing inside Eric's brain, but you know, I don't know how many, how much space they have for completely new creators, and whether that's a priority for them anymore. I mean, it never was meant to be. It never was a place where you broke in. Right. That that's what I was about to say. And yeah, I mean, it's there's a. Uh, let's talk about that for a second because honestly, I've always appreciated your your blogs and, and your, your, your candor when it comes to what's going on in the market and stuff like that. Where's the responsibility of the publisher to honestly put out that hand? I mean, I, I, I appreciate that there's from the standpoint of diversity, I absolutely appreciate that, but you better have some talent and it just can't be, you know, there's not enough women or there's not enough mind of, of any given specific minority. They still have to back it up with story. And I think it's a fair um, uh, expectation of the publisher because they are in this to make money and stuff that, you know, they can get a good a good pro- a good product. Yeah. And again, I'm not, you know, I, you know, I'm not. Boy, I sound incredibly like the white devil when I say that, don't I? Um, I get, no, I get your point. I get your point. I mean, I've, I, yeah, I'm just, honestly, I'm trying to present this kind of like, wait a minute, you know, this, this, where, where's, where do we go? I mean, I think there are, I think there are enough A and B list female creators, creators of color, LGBT mm-hmm. creators that can produce knockout books. Um, I think sometimes they don't get looked at as much or they're only like, oh, well, you know, it's like we need someone to write Black Panther, so we'll find or Luke Cage, so we'll find some black guys. You know, they never think, you know, they never think, oh, like who should the next Daredevil be? Maybe David Walker could do Daredevil. Right. Like, right. like heaven forbid, you know, like he he do a book starring white people. Um, or, oh, you know, the comic was on a couple months ago, and she's like, you know, hey, I'd like to write the Hulk. Yeah. You know, and then that's you yeah, know, I'm sure that's not the first thought. And I get approached yeah. by. Um, the work for higher companies, it's always like, would you write this C-list female character for us? And I'm like, no, call me back when it's Batman. Well, you know, well, let's, but, all right, but, because I, I, and I do want to talk about these other published, these other published, but first let's start with image because image is this boutique that also has to, you know, uh, make, I, I guess, you know, you know, make a profit. So they are, their stake has has risen in the as, as much as their uh, place in the market, mm. and I think you know, hey, we got we got to put out books that you know sell. I mean, and it is our, and I think his it, it's fair for Eric to go. You know, that book doesn't appeal to me, and he's he, I don't know how many other uh, taste arbiters there are at Image. How many do you know? I mean, beyond Eric, do you know who else is uh, who's involved? I I can't say for sure, and I don't feel comfortable commenting. I mean, I've always assumed it's mostly Eric. As if I. I, I do not know if that's correct. I've never, I've, I've you know, I've had a few conversations, I've had a few face-to-face conversations with Eric. I, I, I'm very fond of him as a person. I respect him greatly as a, as a, as an editor and publisher. I don't know the truth of these things. Um, so, you know, I think, I think image overall has been done a really good job through not just Eric, but throughout its staff of making of being 
a welcoming place for people who don't look like most people in comics. Agreed. And they turned themselves around from about five years ago to where um, by bringing on different new staff, by approaching things in a slightly different way, and now they've got like two books by Ron Wimberly, which is like made of wind because Ron is fucking amazing. Yeah, yes. I, like, Hell yeah. I am so happy, like, because I haven't, you know, I haven't really, I've like wanted more since Prince of Cats, and like I ate up the Hulk stuff, uh, the, the She Hulk stuff he did with, uh, with um, Charles Sewell, great one. Yeah, Charles Sewell. Um, and it was just like, wh- like, why isn't this guy getting called up like every fucking day? Because I'm sorry, I'm swearing so much. I hope this is no. You can swear. Maybe. You can totally swear. Um, please. No, and that's all right. Get passionate. Like, why is okay. why isn't he drawing? Like, I mean, I'm sure he yeah, gets lots of calls, but you know. No, that's the it's he's got the one of the most distinct art styles out there and, and it, it should be a given that of course, you know, put this out there and if you expose it to people, they'll want to see yeah, it. Yeah, and Kelly Sue sick. like working with Val Delandro, you know, like there's there's who's who's the nicest? Oh, oh yeah. he's the best. Uh, yeah, he's a great man. Absolutely. I'm a big <laughs> fan. I've been for years, absolutely. You know, and here you are seeing you're just you're just like people are welcome there and like you know you're gonna get listened to if you're a certain level in the industry and hard as that is for the C and D list, you know, like we all like, I just want to say everyone pitching image, like even those of us at image, we like Derek doesn't return our emails sometimes because he has like the craziest inbox in the world and all, all sure. lead to him. So, you know, you just have to be Zen about like, Eric might not get back to you. It's okay. Be polite. Remind him every so often, maybe once a month. But I, I and, and you know I'm the one who brought up obviously uh, other sexes and 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 races yeah, yeah. and things like that. But I but I truly mean as well just a person that is starting out, no matter what color or or creed and, yeah. or, or or orientation. And it's like, well, you might have to wait your turn, and you might have to actually like knock us out with something much like an Alex Ross did 25 years ago at Now Comics on Terminator: The Burning Earth. And luckily, you know, the right person. Like, holy well, shit, who is this guy? Steve, Let's get him. Steve Rude on Nexus, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, honestly, just, as a like, kid. I mean, I'd fucking but, well, but, as, but as a kid, no, and you're 100% right. But, I mean, I don't know. At first comics to me, it was a different market back then. I don't know. It is a different market now. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think, you know, and especially there were so many more publishers in that first wave of direct, direct market or second wave yes. in the 80s. Yes, yes. So, so that's a little different, but that's what I mean. Like today's, today's market is so is, and again, I'm not trying to make excuses for publishers, but I really think everyone needs to see the whole picture and say it's a very different market that is literally figuring itself out. I think in a way that it never has before, and I think the big two are frankly on notice. Yeah, I, I, I really do. do. I, I agree. And I think there are too many comic books out right now. I think there's going to yep. be a big fall. Well, um, most yeah, of well, yeah books, God, I hope I hope we're not heading to a, a collapse. But go on, and then yeah, let's talk about it. Well, I mean, you, you just go into the stores, like you know, like so many books coming out every week. Some of which are, you know, many of which are not making money. And this is one of the things I, I try to talk to people about when I talk about things like rates within the industry and why some publishers are yes. very very low rates for yes, um, yes. for work for hire. For license work, because um, those books are only selling like three thousand copies, and and like if if your book's selling three thousand copies direct market, you are running at a dead loss. Yes, you know there is no money for advances for anyone. Like you're you're not making money on on like once you like amortize in like your marketing and, and your PR and 
you know, you're probably just covering the print bill and the shipping bill and that's it. So think of how many books out there. And that's also why people are like, why won't they give me a creator advance at, at publisher X? Well, because nobody's heard of you and your book's barely going to sell 2000 copies and we stuck in the ass end of previews. Um, and you're going to sit there and not actually tell, you're going to tweet about it a couple of times, but you're not actually going to contact any retailers with any, anything meaningful. And you know, that's how you do your first couple books. Yep. And it sucks. Yep. No one helps you. Like I hear, like I'm. I, this is this is gospel truth about the creative arts. No one helps you until you don't need help anymore. Exactly. So you got to do. You got to hustle on your own and make that book somehow. And you know, if a big publisher picks it up but doesn't pay you anything, as long as they aren't stealing all your rights, you know, you should take that deal. Because you, the first two deals you take in the industry will be bad. I signed the Tokyo Pop deal twice. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> tick, tick, done. Never took a bad deal after that. That's why. Um, but I got published. Um, and once you get published, but you have to do all the work to get published. Like no, because let me tell you, it's really easy to make a comic book. One comic book. Any, any jackass can make one comic book. Making a comic book every month, however, that is a different story. You know, it, it soon – do. It, 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 like you, you, can, you can take time and like work on it in the evenings and all this. But once you're making it every month, it's a job. And your artist better be able to turn in 20, 22 pages a month um, around his or her other commitments, which he, they probably still had because they're being paid pissant for their pages. If right. It, um, right. So you just have to find the way to make it work. It's it's like what it's like acting. You can't get a union gig until you've been on a union shoot, but you can't be on a union shoot until you're like you've got the union card. So how do you get in? You cheat. Everyone cheats. And the you know I was I was actually talking about this with David earlier. Is is the one awesome thing about comics is that ninety five percent of the people are really wonderful human beings. The other five percent we're not going to talk about because we're going to keep it family. Um, but People will help you. Like everyone has someone else who they can credit for their first leg up or some reassurance or a publisher intro. And, and that's like the most important thing with making comics is make friends and don't only make friends with people who can help you make sure you help them back. Be kind. Everyone can see those kids coming that only are your friend because they want something for you. You know, like you can butter us up all you want, but we see straight through you. A girl, this is good. No, I, all right. So, how do you well, how do you cheat in comics? Uh, you make friends with comics people, maybe join a studio with them, hang out with them in bars, at conventions. Don't be a jerk, uh, because there are lots of talented people out there, and, and generally, the ones that aren't jerks get the jobs. Um, we none of us are paid enough to deal with the jerks. Um, that's true, absolutely. Uh, and eventually someone in your circle and like, don't necessarily like try to make friends with like Kelly Sue. Cause like, you know, no, just, I mean, sure. Be nice to her. Cause she's awesome. But, um, you know, make friends with people that are at your level and like, you know, get tables at conventions together, make zines together, do anthologies together. And then one of you eventually, and like, you're all hustling and one of you is going to break in. One of you is going to get a call back from IDW or boom, probably, or, you know, someone like that. And then that person then, you know, starts trying to hook their artist friends up and like, you know, gets, you know, suggests their writer friends for other gigs. And, and then, 
you know, it all cross pollinates and the tide rises. Um, and you need to keep doing that. Cause like no one, no one's going to take your, like no one that you recommend, like if, if they become really famous, they're never going to take a gig from you. Like they, the comics doesn't work that way. You know, like you, you, you are known for a style. Like if you're doing comics, right. You're known for a style, whether it be a writing style or an artistic style and people want you for your individuality. Um, hopefully. And so helping other people doesn't, doesn't slow your role any because like I do my thing, like no one else does my thing. Um, so I'm quite happy to help anyone else out that I can, I think is worthwhile because I know if someone wants my thing, they're going to come to me for it. <laughs> but usually yeah, everyone should uh, cultivate an original voice if they can. Um, don't try to be the next, you know, Brian Bendis. Cause the one we have is still working pretty well. Has its soft days, but you just whack it. <laughs> Do a hard, re hard reboot. Do you have any suggestions or, or in terms of uh, like, you know, stores? I mean, uh, you know, really being down the bushes with retailers and stuff and, and, you know, hand selling your book to these retailers. Well, I mean, that's the other thing with the, the, the just generally there are too many comics. Um, it's a flood of books. Like, which ones do you take your bets on? And, and another important thing to understand that, that many don't is that uh, when bookstores buy, buy novels, if the books don't sell, they can send them back to the publisher. Or the distributor. Um, right. When comic book stores buy comic books, there is no returning them. If they don't sell, they have them forever, and that's why they're like quarter bins. Um, so, and and comic stores do not make a ton of money. Like generally, if you want to be rich, you should not do have anything to do with comics. Um, so the stores that are, op are, are, are running are generally run for love, um, and enthusiasm. And sometimes the staff, like sometimes the owners are a little bit bitter because they're not making a ton of money. <laughs> and so they have to, they have to, it's great to reach out to them. Um, don't waste their time. Don't ever contact them on a Wednesday. Please don't do that. Um, no phone calls, no emails on a Wednesday. Just leave it be. Um, but you have to like you have to convince them that your book's going to sell, and you have to you have to help them sell your book. Um, sending them shelf talkers, sending them postcards to bag stuff, stickers, buttons, like anything you can do with that. And I, I you know I have a retailer list which I got from um, nefarious places that's almost four hundred and eighty stores. Uh, in the U.S. And, and around the world, you know, I, I, I email them once every couple of months when, you know, like when we, when previews came out and No Mercy 5 was in there, I forgot to email them for FOC because my mom's cat was sick and I had to run around like four bets doing cat ultrasounds. Um, the exciting and glamorous life of the comics writer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, but you just gotta, you know, you just gotta be a human that they can connect to and a real person. Um, and keep it brief because they've got a ton of, they've, they're, you know, you're not the only person contacting them. And, and and just try to get them to remember your book. And it can mean the difference between them ordering one copy and five copies or no copies and two copies. Um, give them a reason to get the book. Did you uh, did you do any kind of crazy tchotchkes for No Mercy? Oh, we had, um, we had pins. We had a lot of pins. Um, 
Okay. Uh, one of the things we did for the trade was we sent out book plates that were signed by the entire creative team, so they could offer like stores all around the world could offer the book as signed. Um, and the great thing about book plates, you learn like when you're doing retailer stuff, especially when your retailer list is like 480 stores, and a hundred of them will email back and be like, "Hey, we want things." Um, is you learn shipping rates like, like off the back of your hand. <laughs> sure. Um, and I gotta say, book plates are a really great thing to sell, send because they send in like five by seven cardboard envelopes, which go letter rate, and which means I can send them to Israel for like three bucks. Yay! Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Sending out the buttons, they had to be sent in tiny flat rate boxes, which were five bucks each. That adds up. You know, all my profit off off. The, the meager profit off, off No Mercy number one was used up sending out stuff to retailers to get them to buy No Mercy number one. Welcome to the Ouroboros of comics. Um, where the money eats it, its own tail. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, we, did, we, we do everything we can with retailers. I really appreciate the rapport I have with a number of stores because it allows, them, it allows me to call, like, call them up or, or when I'm at a signing, sit down with them and ask them questions about strategy and, and, and books and pricing. You know, I talk to a lot of retailers because we raised the price of No Mercy from $2.99 from the first arc to $3.99 ongoing simply because we're not Brian Vaughn and, and we don't sell. Like at $2.99, we don't break even. At $3.99, we will, providing – a whole bunch of people don't stomp off in financial high dudgeon. But my conversations with retailers were basically like, if people are going to buy singles, they're going to buy singles. They don't really care if it's two ninety nine or three ninety nine because there are so many three ninety nine books. And they said, don't do three fifty. It's a dumb price. Nobody like if you're going to make it three fifty, just take three ninety nine. Um, and that's interesting. Why is that? Because no one cares. Okay, you're just shorting your. All right, just, people are comfortable. You, yeah, people are comfortable with three ninety nine. Is yeah, you're answer. just shorting yourself forty nine cents. Right, and I suppose that's true because that's interesting. Because I thought, as and I didn't mean to interrupt your flow, but as as, as I've talked to the uh, DC and Marvel people, I have, and you know, not that it's the writers or the artists' idea that they're flirting with the four ninety nine price point for the monthlies, I hope, and it's I like hope. I, I think three fifty to to say that a book is a dollar fifty cheaper than uh, even a dollar when you're you know when you plunk down ten dollars and you're able to get you know, well, I guess. Barely. I guess we'll have to make it twelve dollars so that you can get three, uh, yeah, three image books versus you know three fifty, uh, three three fifty image books versus you know two two DC books or whatever. There's, I'm like, there's I, no I point to three fifty as a price point. Like it's two ninety nine, three ninety nine, or four ninety nine. I hope they all raise it to four ninety nine. But the thing is, like with the with the image books, I mean, I think with, with no mercy, like you get a shit ton of story for yes, you, hey, for the hey, price. Hey, <laughs> Yeah, I don't mean it's. Oh no, I mean, a lot. A lot of the um, the mainstream books feel very, you know, padded. Like nothing really happens. The good ones well, obviously that, or, do, or, but you know. Or, plus, you'd get or to introduce the price point. Hey, we're giving you a backup story. It's like we don't want the backup story. I love. We want <laughs> we want Batman. We don't want we don't care what Alfred is doing. We want Batman. Thank you. Or if we do, put it in the goddamn story. You don't have to add another story. To yeah, exactly. Batman. Just yeah, give us more better. Or, a story absolutely um i mean so, yeah, well, another thing like like the, i have this i i have a book coming out from image that has this uh, essentially the same name as something that came out like two years ago from a small publisher and I, I spoke to my retailers about it and they were just like yeah we don't care just call it call it call it what you want to call it because it's an image book and you know the book that you're talking about is out of print so <laughs> okay yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it. You, like, and and that was really good because the name's really perfect, and I didn't want to change it. Um. 
I understand. We'll talk. Let's talk more about what you give them for three ninety nine coming in the second arc. Sure. Because as you say, you're dropping the mailbag, but you're keeping the essays out. Yes, the essays are staying. The, the mailbag was being dropped so I could keep the essays. That's good. Well, I think that's honestly. I think that's good. I, I, yeah, I'm for that because the essays are interesting and the fact you know tell people about uh, you know how you're how you're tying your own personal experience to this story. Yeah, I traveled a lot. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I, I wrote No Mercy was because I um, I had been that teen who like traveled lots of places and did dumb shit and probably should be dead. Um, I, snuck <laughs> I snuck across the Russian border when I was 16, honey. Nice. I snuck right back. <laughs> Cause I'm no idiot. I'm a fool, but I'm not an idiot. <laughs> awesome. From what, uh, from what, what country? Uh, Polish border. It was a border between Poland, Ukraine and, Slo- and Slovakia. That's cool. Lovely, way up in the mountains, so pretty. Um, they clear cut like, and I, I went up there, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to see the border. This is going to be kind of lame. And they clear cut on the tops of the hills because you were just below the tree line, um, the border. So you could, uh, so when you climbed a certain hill, it's like standing on a map. It's like there's the Russian, the Ukraine, Russian Ukraine, as it was. We were still. That was the year of the, of Gorb- the attempted coup against Gorbachev. I remember because my mom was having kittens. Um, wow. uh, and I was in Poland, so there was Soviet Union, um, and, and yeah. on a little bit to the right was Slovakia, was, was what was still Czechoslovakia. I think it was still Czechoslovakia at that point. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that, of course it was because yeah, that's early enough in the nineties. I would agree. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I've been doing stupid things for a very long time. Um, <laughs> Then when I when I when I left college, I went to teach English in Hong Kong. Stayed there for about five years. Ended up in banking. Sent to the Philippines for a year. You know, saw the Hong Kong handover. Got shipped again to New York City, and then very quickly onwards to Argentina and then Mexico City for about nine months. And then was sent to London. I spent 10 years in London, not in banking. Banking and I parted ways fairly swiftly in London because the London office was a nightmare. But, you know, I also, you know, I also got fun, fun trips to places like Croatia and Hungary. And um, Was this all through a World Bank job or whatever? It was, for, yeah, an investment banking job. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah, like see the world, sell it stock. Um, That's that's awesome. What uh, what kind of like was you know any, anything interesting or was it you know all, all pretty? Oh, I mean it was all interesting. I mean the the, the third world like well, not third world that's a that's a very dismissive term. Uh, the econom- the economics of developing countries going through flux absolutely fascinating. I, um, yeah. You know I watched the the, 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 the the currency crisis in in Hong Kong in seven. You know, there was a second Latin American crisis while I was in Latin America. There were the Eastern European countries trying to come out from under Soviet cronyism um, and embrace the open markets. I mean, it was a time of tremendous, tremendous change and um, and just fascination. I mean, I, I love, I love event, I love real events. I love history. I love autobiography. Um, and I witnessed a lot of it. That's cool. Hey, I'm psyched for your uh, '70s and uh, '50s stories coming up. That's awesome. Yeah, there. I'm. I'm really looking forward to them. the '70s one. Especially the Cold War one's going to be a doozy. They're both. Doozy. Now, is that the Cuban one or is that the '70s one? 
this well, the Cuban ones. Uh, the Cuban ones, a mob story. Um, okay. Set on the night that Batista leaves Cuba, which is New Year's mm-hmm. Eve '58, uh, in one of the mob runs. Broke my heart, Fredo. There you go. go. On. Um, uh, <laughs> in one of the mob run casinos. On, on essentially its last night because Castro is marching into Havana. Um, and it, there was a lot of crazy things going on. And one of Batista's generals tries to make a last cash grab from the uh, casinos on his way out. And meanwhile, there are these three girls, um, a mambo queen, the, 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 the gangster, the Italian, the sort of Jewish gangster who runs the casino's girlfriend. Um, it's not a good relationship. Um, and this girl, Taffy, who's a black jazz singer, uh, they all have their reasons for wanting to leave Havana. And I say it's, you know, three girls, six million dollars in 12 hours. That's the story. Cool. Um, and the, the Cold War one, I always say, like, imagine, like, Terrence Malick's Badlands or Easy Rider or Antonioni's Zabriskie Point, one of those early 1970s, like, young kids on the run against the man stories imagine the young kids are soviet operatives who've just killed a defector in california cool wow yeah yeah awesome and a similar kind of like you know feeling of like that that we all did towards each other like in the good old cold war where like we're all we were fascinated by the russians and the russians were fascinated by us in a way um, and so here are these two kids, who one of whom has never been out of the Soviet Union. The other one has some experience um, outside. She she's KGB, the KGB, um, and she'd been posted in Hong Kong. And uh, there they are in in the middle of of Palm Springs, with all the modernist architecture and and, and the bright sunshine and and everything just so as it wouldn't the opposite of the Soviet Union. It's fun taking the Cold War and plonking it in California because those books are always set in like Berlin. Or mm-hmm. Yes, York Checkpoint Street, Charlie, yeah. exactly. Um, and it's fun to put it in a sunny place. I mean, there, there was, I mean, the Cold War happened everywhere. There's amazing Cold War stories from Africa, for instance, but, but to put it somewhere as mannered and, and removed from right. the Soviet Union as, 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 as Southern California is a lot of fun. Well, in 1970s California is yeah the politics of it, just the culture and everything, and also the the hang the 60s hangover. Yes, exactly, exactly. I'm there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of sex and a lot of drugs too. That's the thing. I mean, you know, uh, everyone wants to always like kind of pigeonhole decades as very clean cut and stuff, and it's like no, really. There's like always this like hangover that lasts like for the first couple. And 71 was this awful kind of like year of like like there was just the. The hippie movement had just receded and left horrible, like just like the yep. me generation shitheads. It was like this crust yeah. of filth left in America as the tide was receding, and, and <laughs> yeah, the pop stars were all dying. That was the year they all went yes. down. Um, you're right, Hendrix. You're right, Hendrix and uh, and uh, Joplin and uh, huge protests and, against and Jim Morrison. Absolutely, uh, yeah. you know, Lieutenant Kelly was being tried for the Miele massacre at the same time. You know, 250,000 people marching in the May Day riots in San Francisco, half a million in Washington against uh, against the Vietnam War. Um, and you know, you always think of that as kind of like still hippie time, but you know, the Stooges had two albums out by then. Led Zepp was on Led Zeppelin four. Um, Alice Cooper had two amazing like blinders of albums out, you know, so a lot of this is, is set to a soundtrack of, of, of early proto metal. Um, 
mm-hmm. not the music you'd think. That's true. And a lot of black power music, you know, Last Poets, um, Gil Scott Heron. Um, yes. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a book with a soundtrack uh, as well. Oh, that's interesting. Are you gonna you're gonna put out a Tumblr playlist or something like that? Yeah. That's appropriate. Yeah. Attic- that, have you done that with your other books? Not really, um, but this one very specifically was was one that came with music. And you know, the second miniseries. I mean, I've planned out like eight miniseries involving these characters. It's like I've gone a bit far. Um, I I do a lot of work ahead of time. Um, but the second miniseries is 72, which was, you know, an interesting year in Germany. Also, in, in you know, <laughs> Munich Olympics, nothing will go wrong there. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's actually about, it's actually the Bader book. Wow. So that'll be a lot of fun in the early Krautrock. Interesting. That was, that was wow. a, like the Bader, like that, talk about toxic subcultures. The Bader group were just like, it's funny writing about them because it's like writing about some fan, like really toxic fan subcultures and, and people making in really abusive fan relationships. It's just like, so, it's so bad. Oh God. That's awesome. Poor. You see, this oh. is Alex. That's why. And again, you, you're, you're your own person. And, and I'm, I was pleasantly and forgive the, the sexism, but it was like, I oh, Alex DeCampi. I like that guy. He writes, I like smoke. That was cool. It's a woman. Oh, even cooler. All right. <laughs> She's cool. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. I, so that's the thing. It's, you know, I, I, you prove that, hey, women can, you know, uh, you, you absolutely, you're, you, of course you belong at the table. You, 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 you are capable of just as exciting and interesting ideas as any of my favorite men authors. So it's like, good. Well, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> yes, please. I think, I, I mean, I, I think. While it's wonderful that I write like a man, essentially, I think... Uh, you know what I mean. I know, but I think... I, think I, need- <laughs> I know, I mean, I'm saying it inarticulately, but you, thank you. You know what I mean, don't you? I do. Um, I, I, I do. I, I do there, there are- she thinks like a man. It's incredible. <laughs> Go on. I, I do think there is a place for, for a, like a wider spectrum of, fem- of, of, of of writing from women and from men. I mean, I always like, like the running joke was Kieran and I are great friends. Kieran writes like a girl. I write like a boy. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm very flattered to be included with writers you really enjoy. I can tell you like a certain like style of like a certain kind of writing, um, which is probably more masculine. But, you know, there is like you can be awesome and and not like me. Like you don't have to write like I just I just want to make clear that like you don't have to write. You have to write really well to be at the table. You don't have to write like a boy. I do. And it's something like I have weird stuff about. Like, I, you know, sometimes I think I should maybe, you know, try to write in a more. I don't know. Okay, I'll just kill him. I'll just. But this this proves the point of Don McGregor doesn't have to be black to write a great Black Panther book. You know, I mean, this is what this yeah. is kind of what we were talking about before in terms of no any 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 good writer, if you know they they are are, are excited about an idea can convey that idea to an audience no matter no matter the sex or creed or or orientation. Yes, yes, yes. Um, How's that or gender? If I've not said yes, I agree. Yes. All right. How about that? <laughs> We've solved the problem. There you go. Yeah, comics We've solved the comics problem. Yep. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Comics. Exactly. Exactly. Jesus. No, 
Oh, I know. You know, honestly, I, I like I said, I, you are outspoken on these issues, and I and I want to know, like, you know, how like are things are, seem things seem to be getting better. They are getting better. I mean, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, I think the next year is gonna. Next year's a little frustrating in that, like, all three projects I have have been delayed a little bit for various reasons. They're all kind of back okay. on on base now. But, you know, having to switch the artist for the Cold War thing, um, artist of mine had a minor medical issue for a Dark Horse thing, and he's recovering nicely, so that'll be fine. Um, and then I'm just waiting for Ramon to start. Ramon Perez is drawing the Cuba thing, and I think he's starting. Oh, that's great. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Boy, sorry. <laughs> yep. That's too bad. Yeah. Because he sucks, you know, obviously. No, that's wonderful. Oh, that's great. He's not a nice guy at all. No, he's no, yeah, he's, that, he's that's true nice too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me and Bizarro. Um, exactly. No. Well, and of course he's nice. He's not American. He's Canadian. So, you know, he's a good guy. That's, um, you know. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to see what Ramon does with it because there's, there's a lot of spectacle. I mean, you know, we're doing the old, like the big casino musical numbers and, and, stuff like that. It's just, there's just going to be so much opportunity. And he's never done a, uh, image book before. So, you know, I, that's shocking. I mean, I know, you well, know, uh, uh, Santa's Arcadia and I mean, you know, he's done for stuff for ages. Um, yeah, yeah. and, um, and now Hawkeye, which has taken a while. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's, you know, so I'm introducing him to concepts like, Hey, we have 28 interior pages. You can use up as many as you want, but if you, if you want to do more, we can go up to 36 and make a 40 page issue just because we can, because it's image, because we're cool like that. And he's like, really? He's like, yeah, because he likes me to write in prose. Um, and so I basically just write comic scripts, but without panel numbering. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's my way of getting around that. Um, and I write scene breakdowns. Uh, so we sort of know how many pages things are, but not really. But that's really helpful with the way Image does things to just be able to like, be like, hey, that's one of the, one of the reasons I like Eric's book. Um, They're not like us so much because mm -hmm. I think it's formally one of the best, most interesting, and 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 best presented comics. And that you know the indicia is all on the front page. The the middle bit of the front page is the first panel, and then you just open the book and it goes from there, and then it ends, and there's a quote on the back, and that's it. I mean, maybe it's secretly because he really didn't want to do a letter column either. <laughs> but it's just, it's really cool. Like, the book starts on the cover. It ends on the last page. Nothing in between. Just comics. Just story. This is what you're here for. Welcome. <laughs> I wish I thought of it. It makes me mad. Darn you, Eric Stevenson. Well, next book. There you go. You I've, I've thought about it. Well, we've got some interesting stuff we're doing with the, with the Cold War book in terms of format not not anything crazy or off-putting but we just thought you know like the only thing that's going to be in the back of the cold war book is me like talking about the songs on the playlist for that issue but um and we, we tend to run long i'm running to like 24 26 pages as i tend to because I, I i do stick a lot of story in a book um and um what we did is is i'm having tony parker's drawing it tony who's doing this damn band who's uh, the stuff on Mayday is his best stuff yet. He's killing it. Um, the book's called Mayday. Um, and he um, had him do uh, like kind of like extra scenes, like extra panels, like three extra panels I can just dot through. Because I hate when you like read this great, awesome comic book and then you turn the page and there's just wadge of text. It's like, oh, God, no. Um, 
where are the pictures? Where did the pictures go? Um, you know, it's like the owl reports in 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 Watchmen. It's like, oh, really? Do I have to read? Oh, I see. I like I like those, but I can appreciate it. But the first time you read it, you're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't fucking okay. pirates. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, I was. I, I was in a hurry to figure out what happened. Um, That's awesome. And so we do these, like, three extra panels, just like landscape format, you know, uh, you know, HD aspect ratio of just like, just kind of like a little bit of extra story, like kind of things that have either just that just give more light on some of the characters or like a little part, like glimpses of a scene that happened afterwards that kind of happened between the books. Um, so there's like kind of DVD extra or, you know, post-credit sequence in sure. the book, which I'm, I'm quite excited about. I think it'll work well. Very cool. I like it. I no, and thank you for uh, saying the artist. I figured you, I, I thought you were maybe keeping it under wraps. So I'm glad to hear about both of those. Those are great. Yeah. Well, Very exciting. But yeah, so that's 2016, probably mid, like, you know, May day will probably be out in May or June. No, like really Eric decides because um, I trust him to figure out the balance of image launches. And, you know, I'd rather, him make sure I don't go up, say head to head with the next Brian Vaughn book. <laughs> Cause I'll live. No, I understand. No, it, well, that's true. And that, and again, that kind of goes back to that original point of, yeah, you know, it's like, I, I think image, you know, there, can be yeah. its own thing. And, and it's, I mean, I know people that are having their first image books that, you know, uh, had to be canceled or, or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, cause it is, it's a crowded market out there. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's going to take, and I'm glad you went into detail about what, you know, these people who are starting off, what they have to do to get noticed on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you know, no, I'm sorry. I, I, and I, and I'm glad to, you know, again, I, it does suck that the rates aren't better. Yeah. And that you have to make like you know, a professional quality mini series uh, that has to not only be, prof- you know, okay, professional quality, it has to impress the hell out of everybody for nothing, nothing. Right. So that is why you do a four issue miniseries first, kids. Listen to Mama. I have the scars. As opposed to a single issue story or a mag- magnum opus of what I always see on Artist Alley of, oh no, this is going to be 24 issues. And it's like, no. no exactly. It's, it's like, no, it's no, not. No, don't do that. But you're saying do four issue story instead of like a one issue. Nobody's going to buy a one. Like one issue thing, you just, the only reason you do a one issue thing is to just to hand out, hand out to publishers. And that's an expensive folly. Um, okay. You should, if you want, if you want to cut your teeth, you start doing eight pages for anthologies and you can hand an eight pager to a publisher and they'll probably actually read all of it. Um, don't hand it to them until it's, it's, it's it's honest to God, hand on heart as good as the other stuff they're publishing because they're not going to read it and you're going to waste your own damn time. If you like, you hold it up to the other stuff that boom publishes or IDW or image or like, and it's not as good. You know, not not almost as good. It's not like as good or better. Don't give it to the publisher. You know, just keep doing stuff. There's always anthologies looking for people. Um, some of them even pay a little bit. You know, Kickstarter, great place for it. When you are doing your first book that you want to pitch to publishers, or are just going ahead, and, you know, as you should, just going ahead and cranking through it and doing it and then presenting it as a fait accompli. Um, it should, you know, do a four issue thing first. Eight pages, like you can, you can do an eight pager, you know, you can get a whole issue of something out. But what we really want to, like what people, what publishers really want to be sure of is that you and your artist 
or you and your writer uh, can really make four issues of something. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people trying to get into comics right now have frustrating stories of writers who flaked out and vanished or stopped giving notes or stopped paying or writers who or artists who just never got beyond page nine. And part of that's they're not being paid and they have to take other gigs and they might have families and sure. stuff. And so it's understandable. Yeah, real world stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, please, 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 kids, keep your goals realistic. Um, it's really much better to do a really awesome four issue miniseries, or if you can't do that, do a really awesome eight pager, you know, just, just focus on quality, not quantity. Please do not do 24 issues to start out. Please, please, please don't. You'll never finish them. And also the other thing is ask for help and apportion tasks. I have friends with a a really wonderful young artist whose name I'm not going to mention, um, who did this like one issue story completely by himself. He wrote it, he penciled it, he inked it, he colored it, he lettered it. And I know his art, um, and it's fabulous. However, because he was doing everything, his inking was really weak. It was weaker than his normal inking. And his colors were okay. Like all the rest of it was good. You know, it was okay. It was, it wasn't quite, it didn't quite hit pro status, but it was really good zine status. And I just, I had to say to him, I was like, look, no one's going to hire you based, like you should not have colored that book and you should not have lettered that book. You should have found someone else to do that because you're never going to get hired for having done those colors and letters. All You're, you're going to get hired on the quality of your inked line work and, and, and you skimped on that because you were, you, you realize you had like two further steps to do and like you were trying to keep sane. So that's another thing to be aware of is that there's a reason, like, why doesn't, why don't people in comics do everything themselves? Um, there's a reason we separate out different skill sets, uh, because it's really hard to just do 22 pages of line work a month. And if you're trying to color that as well, and you're trying to letter it, you're just, you're just, you're just up you're, you're, you're going to, you're on a hiding to nothing. You're going to, you're going to go mad. You're and the pages won't be very good. There are very few people who can color, can draw ink, color and letter 22 pages a month. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> here, here. Wow. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good advice. I like it. No, Alex, this is great. I honestly appreciate that. Cause, uh, you know, this is always part of the question. And uh, I think what, uh, some listeners tune into here is these kinds of tips. And I'm like I said, I'm, I'm glad everything's going as well as it is. Um, you know, I, I again, the talent deserves it, so I'm glad that you're, you're finding that audience. And and also that you're. Uh, I was I was curious in terms of uh, you know how how well No Mercy was doing, and I'm glad to see that you know okay fine that you did answer that question in terms of no this is why we have to go to three ninety yeah yeah to to, to make a profit yeah. and everything. Oh, these are the real kind of variables that people have to hear. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, just because you get an image book doesn't mean it's going to sell enough to carry on. Um, sure. Just because you get a book anywhere. You know. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, – uh, to wrap up on lighter notes and stuff like that, uh, Archie. Is Archie that, is Predator. It? I know. Yeah, good time. Oh, such a blast. I mean, I it, it was edited – although I, did, I, I interacted a lot with the Archie editorial staff who were all – really fabulous and were super, super supportive of me. Um, most of it was edited by Brendan Wright, my, my dark horse editor, who's now freelance and who's now editing all my books. Yay. Oh, that's cool. Um, uh, so, um, he's keeping me sane on May day after the artist switch. I was like, thank you. Um, (laughs) 
So yeah, that's the other thing. Um, editors, editors are very important. Hire an editor. Well, I was, you know, honestly, I, I've asked that before and never really gotten many straight answers. And it's always been like, oh, so and so is editing. He's a friend, and it's like, yeah, okay, that person I know is an editor and stuff. But yeah, that's you know, is is there because of all these creator-owned books, is there more opportunities for an editor to freelance and and you know? Yes. Yes. Um, however, make a living at it or make a side living at it. I, don't I would even know. say a side living for now. Um, I mean, a lot of the really good editors also consult and do gigs with particular publishers. Um, you know, books need editors. It, it is very hard to edit your own book. I mean, the, the, I could not take on another book like No Mercy without having an editor. Um, and, and, and Brendan is, is proofreading Mayday and calling me on my bullshit and helping, you know, Tony and I communicate. And I mean, you know, no mercy is easy because, because Carla and I had worked together before we knew each other really well, but still it's, it's, a, it's a lot, a lot, a lot for me to do all the design and do all the lettering and write the book and like comment on all the pages and check and make sure that politely everything's happening on time and, you know, do the back matter and, and upload the book every month. Um, it's overwhelming, especially because I handle, I, I use a lot of hand lettering effects, which are incredibly time consuming because I'm an idiot. Um, the, you know, the more I can get editors on my books, the more books I can do and the better books they will be. It's, that's the honest truth. Um, but yeah, I mean, but sorry, back to your original question of Archie versus Predator. Yes. Um, mayhem may so much, uh, it, I could. I was so happy to get on the phone with the Archie folks, um, and they're like, "You're going to kill everyone, right?" And I'm like, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> like, make sure Archie goes in a really gruesome way, but don't shoot him. Check. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did they really tell you that with the death of Archie? Is that why they said yeah, don't yeah, shoot yeah. him? That's awesome. Um, That's and yeah, you know, we were thrilled because because in all the Archie crossovers, nobody died. In any previous crossover, the, uh, even in Archie Punisher, the only thing that died in Archie Punisher was Frank Castle's self-esteem. <laughs> I still like that story. I'm Me really too. I, I mean, how can you it's not funny. like it? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Funny. Punisher in a Letterman jacket. Come on. It's fabulous. But that's, but that's the thing. It's like, come on. It's like everyone's like, oh, that was the worst. It's the worst comic. It's like, no, it's a funny comic book. Unclench your ass. Yes, exactly. And we got a, we, we did get, we did get a Frank Castle Easter egg into Archie Predator, so we're so happy. <laughs> Did you really? That's great. Yep. Also, I'll, I'll tell you guys, like, yeah, see, so those of you out there who are going to buy the, the, the lovely deluxe $18 Archie Predator hardcover trade with all the back matter, go do it now. Um, Amazon has it. Um, I was going to say, on sale now. There you go. On, on sale now at all finer retailers. Um, uh, yeah, look through it for the Archie, uh, for the for the, for the the Frank Castle Easter egg. Um, I asked Brendan if I could do it, and then he's like, I can neither confirm nor deny if this would be a good exactly. idea. Um, but I do know that you and Fernando are Facebook friends. <laughs> so like, okay, Fernando, it's a message. Awesome. Um, and we just didn't tell anyone because we thought that like, right. we had, we had, obviously all the, the book had to be cleared by Fox as well because Fox has the Predator license. Um, and they get really weird if you mention other properties. And we couldn't remember who had Punisher and neither did we care. But we're like, Frank Castle's going in there and just we're not going to tell anyone. So boof, there, he's in. Um, two Cosmo the Merry Martian references, Easter eggs, you know, and frankly, more pred more predator Easter eggs than you can even like just count. There's so much, pre there's so much from the first predator movie in there. 
Um, it's a book that, you know, we were very proud to be able to tell a really good Archie story and a really good Predator story at the same time because I'm a huge fan of both characters. Understood. Um, Archie, you know, I mean, like the first issue, Archie has heart eyes for like legit a third of the issue, as it should be. <laughs> is um is the uh, uh, the last Predator movie worth watching? I I don't know. I I was I was like, yeah, maybe not. What Predators? The one with Adrian? Brody? Yeah, the one with Adrian Brody. Yeah, exactly. It kind of is. It is okay. Because um, right. I, mean, like, I love the Danny. I love Predator too. I like I like Danny Glover up against the Predator. I got no problem with that. I thought it was fantastic. You know, the, I, the thing about Predators is is it's 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 like it's like so close to being really amazing, and then they make some really dumbass decisions. You're like, why? I mean, my inner screenwriter was like, oh, fucking no, just don't, don't take. You have this glorious concept. Don't do that. Um, yeah, because aliens, aliens versus predators really sucked. Yeah, that that which which you know like really sucked. Obviously, someone who produced that movie was like, "How can we possibly screw this up? Like, everyone will see it anyway." Yeah, but you know, this is I don't know. It, it's taken a while for the genre movies to really kind of like, you know, this is this is around the same time that we were still getting you know Electra and some of the bad superhero oh, movies. Electra. So oh. yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. So so was like working with Fox. Was it like? Was it tough in terms of uh, scrutiny? No, I mean, I, I had this wonderful experience that, you know, working with two major licensed properties um, on a book edited by a third group, and it couldn't have been easier. The Archie notes were were, 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 were very gentle. Every so often, Roberto would be like, no, like, we, we, we can't make jokes about child predators in an Archie book. And I'm like, that's a funny joke. And he's like, I laughed, but no. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's my job as the exploitation writer hired to write this book. If I'm not over the line, sure. you know, if, if they don't have to reel me back 10% every script, I'm not doing my job. Because they're going to reel me back no matter where I'm standing. So I might as well go like really far forward. And they're like, oh, we reeled her in. You know, but I'm still, you know, I'm still like annexed their Sudetenland, basically. Um, yeah. And, uh, and Fox were fine. Fox were just weird about funny things. They're like, you can't spell brand names correctly. So it's like misspell Chanel. Um <laughs> Okay, but they were like me. the emoji. That's legal. The emoji in the HUD display. Fine, didn't say a thing about it. Very I, like I was like you, like Fox knowingly let me get away with the predator talking in emoji. This is a glorious world. And Brendan and I were like messaging each other right after the notes came. I said, "Oh my god, we can do the emoji." Oh. Um, That's cool. And we think it was maybe because they were just old and didn't understand what emoji was. <laughs> Are you a Planet of the Apes person? Yeah, of course I am. I, I, yeah, I kind of figured. Boy, I'd like you know, I'd love to see you write a Planet of the Apes story. Uh, the current Fox, ones, are... but I don't like the current ones. I'm talking about the real ones. You know what I'm talking? Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. Um, Come on. Have you seen the? Have Please. you seen the? Have you seen the comics? Though I, I thought the comics were pretty good. Of the new stuff? Yeah, I haven't read. Yeah, you know, I love Mike. I love Mike Morisi, and and yeah, and so he wrote it, and I and they were fine. I'm just not a big fan of the new movie. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I should parse that. I they're fine, but they're just a different animal versus the original five. The original five, it's like that, I, I, and that's why, like you know, uh, even at, you know, Daryl Gregory's even story was interesting. Yeah, at Boom, that had nothing to do with the movie or the or the original or the yeah. original movies and stuff. But um, no, I you know when Gabe when Gabe Hardman and Karina Becco are doing uh, 
Dr. Sayas and stuff. It's like, yes, thank God. Yes. You know, come on. That's what we want. We want we want Cornelius, Dr. Zayas, and that society. God, I read on Twitter today, someone's like, anybody put zombies in the ape world? And it's like, oh, they got to do that. I want to see Dr. Zayas fight, fight zombies. Yes. Um, that, but those were the books I, I, I'd, you know, I, I'd heard really good things about was the, the Hardman and Betchko stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, no, they were excellent. Oh, they were very good. They were very good. And uh, and also uh, uh, my buddy Andrew Gaska uh, was writing those prose Planet of the Apes novels that are excellent books and that are in between the movie continuity. I, I have no I, – I need to take a photo of my bedside table. I, there's, a, there's a fort of books around it. <laughs> You're a mother too. You don't have this kind of time to read this crap. Come uh, on. You're making this stuff. You don't have time to read this stuff. Well, no. It's, it's, I mean I, 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 do, I, I read a ton of comics to just blow off steam, but like I'm reading sure. – I'm constantly reading Cold War autobiography right now. That's hilarious. That's really interesting. Did you see Bridges Spot? Yeah, it's like and I loved it. I loved it. I'm not. Me I'm too. not a big Tom Hanks fan, but he was perfect in that role. Uh, the entire um, uh, thing was stolen by um, by the by the actual spy character. I forget the actor who was playing him. Um, the one who was arrested and who 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 Hanks was defending. Um, yeah, the professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. was amazing. Yeah, I forget his name too. No, he was excellent. Uh, well, you know. I loved it too, but it was, and, I, it's and I'm written like, by the Cohen brothers. So I would. Yeah, I, I, the only cinema, uh, movies I've seen in the cinema recently have been um, *Bridge of Spies* because I'm gonna see the Spielberg movie. Like there is not anything that is going to keep me from seeing the Spielberg movie because he's Spielberg and he's really good at what he does. And I like seeing what incredible talent and 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 the best camera team in the world sure. look like on a large screen. Um, and also, you know, the Cohen brothers writing it was just like Lanya. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. It was good. I like that. And and I saw The Martian because I'm gonna see the Ridley Scott film for pretty much the same reason. I mean, sure, like Spielberg and Scott have done some things that I wasn't as much of a fan of. You know, I'm we, we still don't acknowledge the final Indiana Jones movie is actually existing on this planet, although it had some really good shots in it. Um, but The Martian, you know, again. I, it was great. It was a dude solving problems through science with great camera work. And it was a real yeah. feel-good film. And sometimes it's nice just to go to the cinema and walk out feeling happy again. Agreed. No, and I and I saw both and, and feel the same way. And that's the thing. I, like, shrug in terms of when people ask me how Bridge of Spies was. And I'm like, it's great, but it's the Coen brothers. It's Spielberg. It's Tom Hanks doing the Tom Hanks role. I'm like... And it's and, and don't get me wrong because it is it's exceptional. But yeah, it's like it pretty much by note. I mean, it's like all right, these guys did a great job. I mean, yeah, it's. But again, these are like the best guys doing what they do. Yeah. So it's like. But if you don't do. like, you know, if you really don't like Tom Hanks, or you're like really, you know, on the fence about yeah. Cohen, but it, you know, there are. <laughs> I can understand why you wouldn't want to see the film. I did because also, you know, when you're writing a a piece about the Cold War. Um, you go and see the big movies that are out about it, so you don't do the same thing. Like we almost had something in the early drafts about the, you know, the, the nickel the spy takes, and, and he has got a, a note in the like in a hollow nickel um, from underneath the park bench very early in the film. We almost had something like that because obviously the Cohen brothers and I had read the same article on Wired. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Well, that's interesting though because I I always would ask you know people like uh, Tim Seeley never watched Buffy. Because he didn't want to be influenced when he was writing Hack Slash. And I know that, you know, Kirkman and, and Max Brooks don't read each other because of the same reason and stuff like that. So it is interesting that you are more concerned about not 
hitting you know the same tropes by watching that stuff rather than just kind of you know, yeah. But we're, we're both doing historic stuff. Um, it's not. It's that's true. You know, it's not like. You know, are my are my zombies faster or slower than Max Brooks's zombies? And you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. No, I, I can understand this. You know, when 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 it's a really fictive landscape, um, why you'd be concerned about that? Um, I'd still watch it just to make sure I I wasn't making anything obviously the same. Um, but also, you know, I just like watching spy movies. Haven't seen I haven't seen Spectre yet. Um neither have I. You know what's fun? And it's complete chewing gum. But I swear to God and it blew me away that I, how much I enjoyed the first episode and I've got the other two uh sitting on my DVR. That TNT Agent X. It's dumb, but it's fun. I've I've heard that. Um friends of mine are trying to get me into uh like person of interest, which I missed for years because I, I don't I have I never watched it either. I, I, yeah. like after you know, from season two onwards, it becomes this amazing like like story about about technology and society, and 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 it has all these hidden layers. And I'm like, I, it, I'll, I that sounds really like it's yeah, my I, my alley. And obviously, whoever was paying attention at the network wasn't really paying good attention because it seems like the production team just kind of walked off and like we're going to do something really smart with the show, but very quietly. Because normally I can't stand network shows like network TV acting is just. Yeah, it's bad. It's so tough. Well, no, but it's it's coming around because of the competition on cable and streaming now. Of course, it does. No, it's a really interesting time right now of oversaturation with television. Like my my like example is, I'm like Army Wives is a decent show. I'm like it's not a Peabody Award winner, but it's a solid drama. And there you go. I mean, if you got to get yeah. down to Army Wives, it's like okay, you know. Yeah, and Madam Secretary is actually surprisingly all right. Um, that's so funny. I uh, a friend of mine, uh, a New York friend, uh, turned me on to it, and I've been watching. And I binged the first season in time to watch the second. And I enjoy Madam Secretary a lot. Yeah, it's smart and it's well balanced, and and the acting is reasonably calm. Um, yes. Yes. Agreed with all of that. What about all the superhero stuff uh, going on right now? Interested? Not interested? I am. I have. You know. I. I have a lot of. I. Ha- I have issues with commitment. Um, and <laughs> committing to committing to go on <laughs> committing to network series um, or committing to any series is is very very difficult. Uh, I, I just can't watch. I haven't even finished watching the Sandbaggers, which I haven't seen in years. At a girl, um, yes, ma'am. I'm a big fan. Rucka, Rucka, and I have gone on uh, for hours about the Sandbaggers. Oh, absolutely, but you know, love that show. You can, you can only watch like an episode a night. You can't really binge the Sandbaggers. One, no, you're right. One, you'll want to kill yourself. Well, it is. Yeah, but you know, it's better <laughs> than Mission Impossible because it is slow, it, and especially by today's. Uh, standards. It is ridiculously slow, but it is good. I'm fine with the slowness. I mean, I, I you know, like I said, I like, I like early '70s movies. I like Antonioni. I'm down with slow. Um, <laughs> nothing happens. Fine. A couple meaningful looks. Yeah, I'm good. Oh, that. But like, you get episodes like the the hijacking episode on the Sandbaggers. That's a great one. Oh, the yeah. boy, the Berlin orientated one. Oh God, that was a killer. Yes. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. God, oh yeah. I, well, that yeah, that's like their best episode. Um, Say it again. Say it again. I, 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 I couldn't watch that. I couldn't watch another episode for a couple of weeks. I still had to be like, I had to kind of process that one. So my commitment issues are there. There are a couple of series that I really want to watch. I really want to watch uh, uh, Soderbergh's The Nick because I have a, a tremendous affection and respect for Soderbergh as a filmmaker. 
Um, and I'm really interested in the practical elements of some of the filmmaking he's doing there. Because uh, if you read about how he's filming the Nick, he's basically using a camera, um, a Red Dragon, a mere $50,000 camera. I want one so badly. Um, which can shoot basically in natural light. It can do the Stanley Kubrick, Barry Lyndon thing of, of shooting just with candlelight. And so, I'm with you. That's so awesome. he does not light his sets in a in a film way. He just lights them practically, and he does things like 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 traveling behind someone, like carrying a candle down a hallway, and that's the shot. And they can film it really quickly because they're not always having to worry about lighting stands and shot. And he shoots all of it. There's some B and C cams as well, I believe. But you know, he sits on a little stool, and someone pushes him around, and he does all these long tracking shots and stuff. Um, God, that's good to know. I've been meaning to pick up the neck it's, and everything because okay. I just like the subject and I like Clive Owen. Yeah. But knowing, knowing all that, and it's funny because, yes, I, I've seen Barry Lyndon. I know exactly what you're talking it, about. Okay. That's amazing. The thing you have to understand about the neck is, A, it's a horror series, and, uh-huh. and, and B, it is somewhat of an exploitation horror series and that the first 10 minutes are incredibly queasy-making. There is a lot of medical gore. A lot, like lots, like much more than you're used to seeing in the usual medical procedural fluff. Um, and it's dark, you know, it's, uh, that was another one where after the first 10 minutes, I, I, you know, kind of been to the gym, skipped dinner and then was like, Oh, I, I have the new, uh, Soderbergh thing. I'll watch it. And then uh, so I was feeling, I was feeling pretty sparkly anyway, because of the, like, you know, going to the military fitness class and then not eating. And I was sitting there watching it going, Oh, I feel too sparkly to continue. I have to stop and have a little breather. because I'm old. I don't like medical gore. Um, so I was not hard enough to, I mean, uh, uh, horror writers, famously queasy people, um, uh, in flinchy, it's, it's why we're good at what we do. Um, I had, you know, it, I got more into it, but it was tough at first, but with the superhero stuff back to that, um, I, I watched the first, I watched like the first se- two seasons of the arrow, mostly to watch Stephen Amell take his shirt off a lot. Like, sure. thank you, CW, you know what we want. High five. <laughs> um, and I really Sorry. enjoyed it especially in season two where it became like so self-aware it was like the entire show almost became sentient um mostly through you know diggle and felicity uh making fun of the genre that they were currently in <laughs> um and then it seemed like like season three was like and now everybody's a superhero I'm like yeah um and <laughs> bye um and so that's when the arrow and I broke up. Uh, I never really got into Flash, though people say Flash is even better. I've read the pilot because the pilot script was knocking around forever. Like every like everybody had a copy of that script. It's like that in Tarantino's movie is like 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 you all like your your friends emailed it to you. It's like oh I have these things. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, screenplays make their way around. Oh yeah, no, I'm aware of that. I just didn't know in particular Flash, and certainly I knew you know the pilot leaked out. You know over the summer before it aired. I, I never saw that. I, I only had the, I only had the, the screenplay. Um, I, okay. But you know, and I'm sure it's a good film. I just don't have time to watch it. Uh, I like daredevil. Um, I had issues with, uh, Kingpin and some of the plotting involved. Um, but stylistically it was a lot of fun. You didn't like the way they characterized Kingpin? Kingpin's arc and goals make no sense. No sense. I don't, what were the fucking Yakuza doing there? A, the Yakuza and the Chinese never t- t- like team up anyway. And B, the Yakuza weren't there for any other purpose other than to stand around looking broody going, we're Yakuza, and then be in that one episode where they fought. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think of, you know. Like, you yeah. choose a ninja guy versus, Dare, like, beating on Daredevil. Like, that was their only, like, Kingpin's plan made no sense at all. Like, Well, I now, okay, and, and yeah, I, I guess. And I have problems well, with that. I mean, I, you know, remember, like, this is my craft, so I... I said, sure. I said, no, I'm aware. I'm, I'm talking to you as a filmmaker. I, I want to know. know. Yeah. Like, like, what about this? What about this? Does that make sense? Like, and you have to, you have, like, the first thing you have to do with your stories, especially with your bad guys, is make sure the plot, like, make sure their their plan makes solid fucking sense. And it wasn't like, here's Kingpin, this slightly delusional guy who's forcing all these people to do things, but in fact is delusional. It was like, here's Kingpin, this rational guy who has this grand plan. Um, and I could sort of deal with the, like the, the fact that nothing in arrow makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, arrow was sort of, like, actually, no, that's not fair to arrow. Like seasons one and two sort of made sense, like mostly made sense. Um, and in fact, the bad guy in arrow season one essentially had the same plan as Kingpin, but a better version of it without having to outsource a lot. Um, and and essentially ended up burning down the poor part of Arrow's home city, which I can't remember. That's city. Yeah, um, which is was the whole point of Daredevil. Um, and I'm also like you know, other than like Daredevil micromanaging the shit out of like ten blocks in in in, in Midtown West, um, I'm always amused that they never actually show Hell's Kitchen, you know, as it really is, which is a neighborhood full of restaurants. Yes, I know. Gay couples and. Like, <laughs> I'm like, where are the hot gay dudes? Well, Come yeah, you're right. Night yeah, night but again, it's... Like hot couples holding hands, picking out what, what gourmet restaurant they're going to go. I know. I know. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's Miller's Hell's Kitchen, which, of course, is, you know, from 30 years ago. So I think they also moved it to Brooklyn anyway. Um, and isn't it... Uh, yeah, and then, I mean, Hell's Kitchen isn't even Hell's Kitchen anymore. It's Clinton now, right? I guess so. Where are the black I people? I think that's what Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ninth Avenue. No, seriously, I always stay right by there uh, for uh, New York Comic Con. Exactly. Um, so we all know. Um, I haven't seen Super- <laughs> I haven't seen Supergirl yet. I want to. Shocking. I know. I know. I'm a failure as a woman. Uh, I, I, yes. I need- <laughs> uh, there's just too much on. There's like too much. On, like oh, it's too much. But this is your show. This is like the Koreans watching fish. Uh, the uh, fresh off the boat. Damn it. I know. I, think- I know. And I'm supposed yeah. to support it so it gets ratings and stays. Because otherwise, they'll be like, women don't watch superhero things. We're not going to give them anything more. Um, so, no, I understand. No, hey, seriously, I completely understand. There's too much TV. What? Are you kidding me? God, everyone's excited for Jessica Jones. I got to tell you, Man in the High Castle on Amazon saw the first two episodes really, really good. I've heard a lot of people like that a lot. Uh, that's another one that's going to be on the list. I mean, I'll often see a couple episodes of something, and then I can just bail on it because it's like, okay, I've seen all your tricks. I know right, you, you got the feel. Yeah, you got the feel. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I, pe- I persevered. I persevered through a bunch of seasons of Game of Thrones, and then, like, I got up to the point where the Sansa rape episode was next, and I just never watched it again. I'm just like, I, I could do something enjoyable with my time rather than watch. Well, you know, yeah, like, well, there's those shows too. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, Six Feet Under was my. All right, I got a sense of what it is. I don't want to hang out with these people anymore. I'll see you later. Yeah, yeah. And I watched all of Mad Men. Up, I, I watched it, everything except the final episode. Interesting. I kind of, I, I stuck with it, and I don't know why. Because there were like seasons where I'm like, why am I watching the show? Everyone is miserable, and they're all horrible people. 
it it did get really sad. <laughs> it, it was becoming kind of a drudgery kind of to get through it. I agree. And then the second to last episode, everything was left kind of like how I wanted it to be left. And then I'm like, like, like Matthew Weiner, I don't trust you. I'm not watching the final episode because fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> so there. Wow. Uh, no, I'm really. I, I forgive me, but I am. I'm really kind of bummed you haven't seen Supergirl yet because I want to know what people think and i and i'm interested i mean i think it's great and i and i'm surprised at the nitpickers and it's like ugh, i, I uh, just you nitpickers. Know. like people are always gonna nitpick you know yeah uh, you're right no i know shame on me for thinking you know yeah. they're not they're not gonna do it with you know one thing when they do it with everything else can we also can we just agree though like that, that gotham is just so bad you kind of just stand there and look at it and be like damn that is bad it's- yeah, I don't even. It's it's just weird. And talk and about it, and a show and, and, that and doesn't make any sense. Like, well, that's oh, the thing. I don't. I don't know what it wants to be. It and also, know what it wants to be clearly. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. Oh my god, man! Because I do. I no. You know, it's. I mean, and it happened within the first season. Smallville. I got to the point where I would watch the last season of the of the uh, the last episode of the season and the first episode of the next season just to get a sense of what was going on. Yeah. And I'd come back when I'd hear, oh, they're doing a Legion episode. All right. Or they do this. And, okay. But yeah, like for Gotham to reach that point in the first season, it's like, okay. And then again, it's, you know, do you want 11-year-old Bruce Wayne scratching his nose kind of like Batman? Whereas here's the Flash. Here's Arrow. Here's Supergirl. Right now. Right in front of you. Yeah. Being the heroes that you want. And it's like, I don't know. I'll, I hope that there's part of me, and I think it's I'm, it's a pipe dream. That they and I and nothing against the kid, who I think is decent as an eleven year old or twelve year old Bruce Wayne. Yeah. But it's like, if any show needs a five year like, let's get at least teenage Bruce Wayne that could kind of do some stuff other than be protected by Alfred. Now you can't go out, Master Bruce. Yeah. Ah, oh, you're killing me, man. Yeah, I know. Uh, um, I mean, but, but it's still not as bad as Once Upon a Time, which is like just that show. I don't understand. I mean, I can do. <laughs> I can do better effects drunk on my laptop. <laughs> I can have a bottle of wine, half a pack of cigarettes, and fix their effects overnight <laughs> on my writing laptop, which doesn't have enough, barely has enough memory to run After Effects. What are you now as a filmmaker? Like, what, because and the lines, that... the lines in that show. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just having a moment. No, no, go ahead, and then I'll. So, no, no, I'll my question is like, ah, once upon a time, you have to watch this. And I watched some of the original, like the first season one. Theoretically, like they would have been putting their back into it. And it was just like, oh, oh, that's bad. Um, yeah, I couldn't get into it, but you know, go on. And there were these, like, there would just be random lines. Like, I see this with some network, like badly run network shows. Um, is that it's theoretically a writer's. Me, like network shows are theoretically a writer's medium and directors don't have much force. Um, and you can see that because when there's a problem with a script, which there very often is, they'll just be, you can just watch the poor actor and they, they, you know, they've got a line coming up that they just have no idea what to do with because it has, it's just a bullshit line. And they just like, they, they say it like, like they're trying to squeeze out a silent, but deadly and not let anyone know and just be like, I can't go with it. Bye. And you can see the relief on their faces. It's like, man, could anybody just step in? Like, why doesn't the director just be like, we're, okay, just improv that line. Just like do something similar. Like we're not except we're not at home to that delivery. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to ask my filmmaker question because as, as, uh, and, and I'm sure the answer is because it still takes too many people to make a movie. But yeah, like where, 
where is that um, independent filmmaker line compared to comic book people in terms of like I obviously getting good equipment is is better and more democratized than ever before for even you know amateur filmmakers or uh, aspiring filmmakers and stuff. And we're seeing very creative little moments that are, you know, not only uh, being crowdfunded and stuff like that, but obviously shit that people are throwing up even on mm. YouTube and stuff like that. So where is it for them in terms of getting their work out there and also, like, making money from their work as as you see it right now as a filmmaker? Um, it's actually pretty easy to make a film. Um, hard to make a good film. Uh, always, always, always the hard thing is the story. Um, because I mean, if I had a really good story if, and I want someone else's screenplay, not mine, strangely, cause if I'm going to direct it and produce it, I really want some distance on the material. Um, but if someone handed me a good screenplay tomorrow that I could shoot on little to no budget, I would do it like in a hot fucking second, there'd be a Kickstarter up before you could sneeze. Um, I know the materials I'd need. I, I know I know what I'd shoot on. I know what lenses I'd use. I knew how I'd bring it, who I'd bring in. But the problem with low-budget stories is it's not that they can't have effects because effects are cheap now. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, like, you know, bottle of wine, like I said, my laptop, I'm there. Um, the problem is the limitations on what you can film uh, easily and well. Um, you know, something that's mostly interiors, doesn't have any crowd scenes, you know, three or four main characters and yet is gripping and not full of shit. You know, it, it's really hard for a lot of people who are trying to sell their screenplay to dial it back down to a really nasty little forehander um, that still has some opportunities for interesting cinematography. Um, and, you know, in, you know, you can do a chase scene, but you can't do a chase scene on the Santa Monica freeway. Right. You know, um, the chasing probably has to be on foot or something like that. But, you know, there are very, there, there are very few screenplays or stories that suit um, a really low-budget treatment. And you have to – like it's, it's like starting out with comics. You have to do what you can manage. Like no one, no one will hire you for doing a, um, a mid-level – budget screenplay on no budget and doing it pretty okay they'll hire you for doing a no budget screenplay on no budget and blasting it out of the fucking water so you know you have to husband your resources to make sure that you have superb lenses like the best camera you can get your hands on like the actual grip equipment um you know hopefully you can do it soderbergh style and actually not have to light it other than practically um but it all comes from the right screenplay. It always does. And that's been my bugbear. And that's why I haven't shot a feature yet. Um, I just don't have the screenplay. And, and friends of mine are always needling me. It's like, Alex, why don't you write specs of all your stuff? It's like, I don't have time. I barely make any money as it is. I need someone to hand me a screenplay that I can work on. Um, I can't, you know, I don't have the six months to drop off and, and do the screenplay and then, drop off another year for the movie. I can do the movie. I can't do the screenplay at the same time. I can rewrite the screenplay, but I can't, you know, I can't, there's a, there's a limit to what I can come up with whole cloth of like, of, you know, writing, directing, producing, editing, you know, I got to have some help. I understand, but I would think even like, and, and I, 
forgive me, but the initial incident in in uh, No Mercy, I mean, you would think could make you know that's right there is it would seem to be a low budget. No, kind of no, don't don't think I could do that on a low budget. Okay, no. all right, layman. Yeah, no, hey, layman, absolutely. You Shooting tell me, animals, you tell me the way it is. Buying a bus. Right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids working with kids. Well, that's true. Okay. I mean, they'd all be over eighteen, so that but but still, um, and, and oh, a large and a large ensemble cast. That's not what you want. It's 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 unmanageable. Poor characters, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I am noodling around with something which may become a screenplay. It's like it's actually a really stupid idea that a friend of mine mentioned. I'm like, that's so stupid. I might actually be able to do something with it. Um, sometimes things are so like ideas are so stupid. They actually like with a little bit of fiddling, they go like through the other side and come out as actually being quite clever. Um, yeah. and I'm not mentioning what the idea is cause it is that stupid, but, um, I'm, I'm noodling around with something that may eventually be a, a, a small feature script for myself, but I'll probably, I, that one I probably will do as a comic first. Don't shoot me. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Um, because I hate I hate it when people do that. I hate here's my failed screenplay. I'm gonna make a comic out of it. Fuck you. Um, shove it up your ass. I don't want to read it. I can tell. There's a reason. No, I I agree with you, but I do think too that a lot of a lot of you image people do have good ideas that would translate well into. Yeah, TV. but I just resent it when it's some when it is literally someone's failed screenplay. But, right. Yeah. The op- yeah, failed screenplay. I yeah, I agree. Ready to go publish a bunch of those in the in the in the early two thousands. I was like. Yeah, you know, yeah, like I, that's that's you know no. Well, and, and cliffhanger, and I think some of the Wildstorm stuff was like that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, good. But this one, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted like get a little money and somehow for it, <laughs> so I'd start it as a comic because <laughs> that'll earn me so much cash. <laughs> get that Shelby GTO and Purple Flake I'd always wanted, rolling down some crystal. Yep. Sure. <laughs> well, I'll see you at the premiere. That's yeah. I'll see you on Oscar night. Yeah. Thank you. No, I, hey, uh, now you're doing good. I understand. I have, I I have more work than I can handle. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. I don't have a, you know, I, I still have a lot of personal stuff going on that makes it sometimes working very hard, and I'm still not paid enough. But you know, whoever is. Um, but in terms of things I've got in the pipeline, I am I am busy almost constantly to the point where my family's like, "Come on, we exist. Deal with us." Um, so, you know, from that measure, I'm doing all right. You know, and it's all it's all stuff I own. It's all stuff I hustled and created. You know, every so often I do something fun like Archie Predator with people I really enjoy. Sure. Don't go looking for work for hire. Sometimes it comes to me. Good. You know. Well, that, but again, that makes it easier and and can help fund the the passion projects. And oh yeah, I mean, I again, I mean, you know, that's it. the like, thing. It wouldn't be my scene to have a career in it, but like, if if people who like know me and get my stuff come up and be like, hey, will you write this like six issue thing or this four issue thing? Yeah, sure. You know, if I like sure. them and I, I I think that we get along, and there's not going to be tons of last minute changes. Or you know, well, like, I, can you put Lobo in it? We're having a cross. No, I'm not going to put fucking Lobo in it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, but the other thing too is, and I have I most of the time when, and it's been a long time since we've both been at a convention at the same time. I think it was probably New York in 2013. Yeah, and like yeah, I'm signing at Dark Horse for like one day. Yeah, and I'm like I understand, and I you know, and I don't blame you and stuff like that. But eventually, and and you're getting to that point where you do have 
you know, a good stack of uh, various books and different, you know, different stories and stuff that yeah. you, know, you can surround yourself. There's an Alex DeCampi library. Yeah, it's the, it's taking up my, my, you know, I keep a couple of copies of each of my books and starting to take up more and more, more and more room on the bookshelf. Yeah. And, you know, so that's, I'm, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to maintain my 2015 trip of having a, a comic book out every month in 2016. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. That's terrific. I mean, presumably if May Day doesn't run wildly over time, it shouldn't though, because Tony's making really super progress. Oh my, the covers are gorgeous. He just, he just sent the pencils for the, the two number one covers. Uh, one of which has the female character, the female spy, and one of which has the male spy on it. And they're just, it's like, oh, Tony, you're so good. <laughs> well, the right, the right story is going to hit for you. So yeah. I, I, I believe that because you, you are, you're a smart storyteller. Uh, at least for my taste. Thank you. For what it's worth. I Truly. appreciate that. And, and absolutely. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you and check in. And uh, congratulations on uh, uh, continuing No Mercy with Carla. I'm looking forward to my conversation with Carla in a few days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll talk We'll talk more about that book. But, uh, no, the, the new stuff coming up next year sounds great. And you got great people working with you. So nice going. Thank you. And I will watch Supergirl and I will tweet you my opinions. It won't be tonight because I actually have to go write up character descriptions for an artist because um, I'm the hardest working girl in showbiz. At it, girl. No, no. I understand. And, uh, yeah, eventually. Eventually. We'll talk about Man in the High Castle. Oh, yeah. i got to watch that too. But, but that, that'll be next week. I'll try to watch Supergirl this week. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good after, you know, after work kind of show. Yes. It, it's, it is chewing gum. But it's, it's in, the, in the same way that The Flash is. I'm fine. Chewing gum. I'm good with chewing gum. I am too. I completely, and that's why that Agent X. I'm telling you, TNT. It's it's a slightly dumber burn notice, but I like it, and I like burn notice enough. So I don't know what that you know, okay. Jade burn notice. I, I didn't really. See, I, uh, I saw a little bit of it, but yeah, I, I miss I miss whole seasons of things on, on TV. I, I'm much more sure. likely to see something if it's a movie because I because I know it's only going to haul up like some of my time. There you go. I understand. <laughs> All right, thank you for playing, and uh, and we'll, we'll check in in a few months about another story. Okay, take care, John. It's great as always. As always, I appreciate the honesty and candor of Alex DeCampi, and for someone that we haven't met face-to-face, I always feel like we get into a good rhythm when we have our conversations. And uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not kidding when I say it. I've always loved her stories, even before I knew Alex DeCampi was a woman. And I was like, oh, great. Even better, as I said in the conversation. All of that is totally true. Uh, So uh, happy to have her back. Man, don't those books sound great for 2016? Really excited about both of those projects. So uh, keep it up, Alex. Good work. Uh, And a pleasant conversation for you today to uh, present on Word Balloon. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. As always, thank you for your support. Um, You know, Word Balloon is free and it will always be free. But if you want to help the cause, uh, you can go to the front page of WordBalloon.com and uh, click on the tab there to Patreon. And uh, if you you feel like uh, you'd want to contribute to the show and subscribe, that's terrific. It's not necessary. As I always say, the best thing you can do uh, to help Word Balloon out is let friends know that you love the show and you think they might love the show too. I'm always happy with uh, the uh, type of uh, interviews and conversation that we have here at Word Balloon and I'm happy to bring it to you each week and I thank you in particular League of Word Balloon listeners uh, who sponsor the show and uh, help uh, keep things running and uh, I thank you as always for your support. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great books are uh, there now, right there for the Christmas season and as I say, if you uh, 
want to spend more than $50, you'll get free shipping. And uh, you can uh, you don't have to wait for Black Friday for some of these amazing deals. They're happening right now. How about when Mark Miller and Phil Hester were together on Swamp Thing? Darker Genesis is the trade paperback. Uh, this is an excellent nine-issue story that is uh, 42% off, just $11.59. You even get covers from the great John Tottleman, who uh, was one of the excellent uh, Swamp Thing uh, creators uh, back during the Alan Moore days. You can get Star Wars trade paperback, uh, uh, The Force Awakens, Shattered Empire, uh, from Greg Rucka and Marco Cicchetto. Tremendous miniseries. It was excellent, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it if you uh, p- decide to pick it up. It is... Um, 50% off, just $8.49. And guess what? Greg Rucka is our next guest on Word Balloon. So uh, you might uh, want to uh, grab that as well. We talk about that miniseries and more. But more on that in our next episode. You can get uh, from Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, Batman and Robin, the hardcover, Volume 7, Robin Rises. It looks like it's the return of Damien after uh, he was uh, dead. Uh, His body was stolen by alien hordes, and uh, Batman uh, goes to uh, bring his son back and bring him back to life, in fact, as well. Excellent story. 42% off, $14.49. You can get Ms. Marvel, trade paperback volume four, Last Days, uh, everything that happens to Ms. Marvel uh, before uh, the big shift of Secret Wars. And uh, this book is 42% off. It's G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona. 42% 42% off. It's just $10.43 at InStockTrades.com. Go back to the website. Find more great deals waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. John Sutcher saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Hope you uh, join us in a couple days for the uh, Greg Rucka uh, interview. That's going to be happening right at the start of the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, we'll take you through that wonderful weekend, a great, long, uh, good Rucka debrief. It's been far too long, and we cover everything. So uh, look forward to that. I hope you enjoyed today's show. More great stuff coming up uh, to wrap up November and plow right into December. Excellent uh, new guests and uh, return guests in the Word Balloon tradition. So I hope you are there to join us with uh, all this great coverage. Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.